The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You are inside the QB factory where our magical development dust makes dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always here to break down with me, quarterback play around the world is quarterback one in our hearts, in our minds. Here's Mark Schofield. Mark, what's going on in Boston today, brother? How you doing? Um, well... <laughs> I know why you're asking me that. I'm going to try to duck it by saying it's snowing a lot and maybe that's made people crazy up there because I believe you're referencing a piece written on WEI.com, WEI being one of the two major uh, sports radio stations in Boston that basically, like you said, feels like the Eminem stand video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really right. does because it's this like long screed and I'm not going to like really dive into it because I don't want to give it attention more than it deserves, which is none. <laughs> but it basically talks about how Brady made this like comment about the weather and therefore Brady Tom, Tom Brady hates New England, hates Boston, regrets his time in Boston. It's one of the craziest things I've read on this website we call Twitter today. And that's saying a lot because I've read a lot of crazy stuff on Twitter already and it's only 10 in the morning. What what did Brady say about the weather? I, I didn't even get the, the comment. He basically I only... said that he's never living in the Northeast again, which, hi, so many I get do. it. <laughs> I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up living outside of Boston. Like when I go back, it's cold and I'm old. I'm 43. I'm Tom Brady's age. Like I get it. I don't, I, now he's in Tampa Bay. It's what, 65 down there today, Mike? Wow. I mean, what an unnecessary musket shot by you fired at Patriots Nation because yeah. your preference of weather. <laughs> Seriously, I regret look, my time there. Look, I, I, I got to read this one part of it because it's so bonkers, just so the gentle listener can kind of get a feel for the tone of this piece. And then we'll get to the historical reference. We'll get into our Jalen Hurts performance review. We'll get into Kyler Murray. But please enjoy this, gentle listener. Quote, Brady's jab at our weather was more than just mean. It was a from-the-heart moment that revealed he's glad to be gone and that he doesn't remember his time here very fondly. A week later, he hasn't even bothered to craft a token apology for having his words taken out of context. No, Brady doesn't care about us. Worse, he probably... <laughs> you can't even get it out. <laughs> you can't even get it out. Worse, he probably regrets us. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing with our lives that this is the point? Like, what possesses you as a human being to sit down and say, 
because of a comment about the weather, this man regrets us. <laughs> like, wh- where does your mind go? And to turn on a guy that brought so much help at the very least, no matter how you feel about the whole Brady Belichick thing, at the very least, helped bring how many Super Bowls there? Is it six? Is that how many? Six. Yeah, six Super yeah, Bowls. But, well, if he loved us, he would have given us seven. That's correct. That's so correct. clearly he doesn't. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think I do want to squeeze in the historical reference. Yeah, let's um, do it. Because I can't talk about this article anymore. I'm holding up for the dear listeners today's book recommendation. This was recommended to me, Michael, by my dad. It's called First Principles, What America's Founders Learned from the Greeks, Romans, and which had, and how that shaped our country. I think you'd appreciate this by yes, Thomas Ricks. Yes. Um, and it, it, it basically what it talks about is like what Washington and Madison and Adams and Jefferson read, like whether they read the Greeks or the Romans and how that influenced their thought and how that influenced, you know, the constitution and things like that. So it's a really cool book, but I did want to mention this quick anecdote about George Washington, who basically strove to craft an image of lofty distance and a reputation for valiant leadership, unselfish virtue, and unyielded honor. And here's this incredible anecdote from the Constitutional Convention, which gives a sense of the effort, quote, Washington put into developing and preserving this potent public persona. Alexander Hamilton remarked to Governor Morris on the General's Social Reserve, noting that even with close friends, Washington, quote, allowed no one to be familiar with him, close quote. Governor Morris disputed that. Hamilton challenged Morris the next time he saw Washington to slap him on the back in hearty greeting. Try that, Hamilton said, and I will reward you with a good wine-filled dinner for a dozen friends. So it was that Morris, next time he encountered General Washington, shook the man's hand while grasping his shoulder. According to an account attributed to Hamilton, Washington withdrew his hand, stepped suddenly back, fixed his eye on Morris for several minutes with an angry frown, until the latter retreated abashed and sought refuge in the crowd. The company looked on in silence. Morris stated ruefully at the subsequent meal paid for by Hamilton that, quote, nothing could ever induce me to repeat that. Very nice. Very, Very nice. nice. Yeah. Very cheerful morning here. It's been a cheerful day already. And actually, I have some I have some more cheer for the gentle listener before we get into the into the football talk here, because we have our prerequisite. We we have a set limit of time that we have to waste of our listeners, and we have not yeah. quite hit that yet. So no. I'm going to use this time. I'm holding up for the gentle listeners uh, at home that can obviously see this video. Uh, the end is always near by Dan Carlin. Uh, apocalyptic moments from the Bronze Age collapse to nuclear near misses. Uh, have this with some Arby's, maybe maybe DoorDash it, whatever you need to do. Uber eats it, eat it in bed, read this book. You'll feel like a real winner. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do that? Who can say? So, Who can say? But uh, if you've listened to the Hardcore History Podcast, obviously this, this book is by the, the guy who does that, Dan Carlin, who is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I've been waiting for the paperback version of this to come out, so I finally got it, and uh, I'm going to digest that. So that's... My book recommendation of the week, my podcast recommendation of the week is the QB Factory, shockingly enough, because this is where we break down our quarterback performances from the Eagles, which has always been Carson Wentz, but now it's Jalen Hurts. It is Jalen Hurts' time. And look, what he did against the second-ranked DVOA defense, absolutely impressive for a rookie in his first start. I want to I clarify that right up top the context is not lost on me i've said before i'll say it again uh, you cannot judge carson wentz and jalen hurts on the same scale one is a five-year vet 
with a $128 million contract. One is a rookie playing in his first game. And even with that, the rookie made the offense look better than Wentz has. And that's because he actually had a pretty, you know, decent game. At least I thought so. Uh, 167 yards through the air, nothing nothing crazy, but also went over a buck on the ground due to his ability to scramble. Did not take any sacks, which is crazy considering how many uh, sacks Carson Wentz has taken throughout the year. The protection was pretty decent, but Hertz also did a, got, did a good job navigating the pocket and whatnot. I still think there are some deficiencies there, things that we have honestly said would be there. And the question is whether or not, you know, those things can improve and whether or not the game plan can evolve beyond past a line of scrimmage perimeter type game, middle of the field kind of removed from the playbook, more shot plays like those things need to evolve because defenses are going to adjust. But for right now, what you have to see from Jalen Hurts is is encouraging. Mark, what do you think of his first game uh, as a starter? Yeah, I, I think you covered it pretty well. I thought it was rather solid, um, particularly when you add in the context of second round, you know, a, a rookie making his first start against one of the NFL's best defenses in a must-win game. I mean, that's kind of critical. Right. And he performed well. Mm-hmm. I, I think what was interesting was a couple of things about sort of the offense conceptually. Obviously, you look at, when you think about how they view a game, a plan, an opponent, their quarterback, you look at the scripted 10 at the start, you look at how they come out of the second half because that's when you can put together a halftime script for the third quarter. Of three of their first six plays were boots in the game, like to get Hurts out of the pocket. And then coming out of halftime, I believe it was three of their first four plays in the second half were designed sprint outs. Mm-hmm. So they were getting him out of the pocket, which is good. You want to help your quarterback. And having charted all of Wentz this year, having charted all of Hurts now, seven, roughly 7% of Wentz's throws were launched from outside the pocket to the right side. That was 30 of his throws this year. Okay. 18% of Hurts so far this year, that same launch point, mm. right outside of the pocket, eight. And that's just one start. When you say, I, I get what you're saying when you mean launch points where the ball is thrown. Are you saying these are are design plus scramble? These are that's right. These are designed plus scramble. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I mean, so and so you know, Hertz only had a handful of scrambles. I mean, right, so right, you right. can tell that there's a an effort here to get him on the move. Definitely so, still a shift. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify yeah, that. Okay, yeah. cool. No, good job there. Clarify that. So <laughs> and you know, also you look at sort of a difference in just where he aligned. You know, Wentz was under center for about 37% of his snaps, whereas Hertz was just 12% of his snaps under center. I mean, so it's a lot more of a shotgun offense, a lot more of getting him on the move. You saw motion. I mean, the first play was a fast three with Sanders going to the flat before the snap, and they're just throwing it to him on a sort of designed flat throw. And so, you know, I, I think they did some things to help him. I think there were some throws that we can get into that really stood out to me. There were some throws and some moments where it's like you could use an egg timer to clock him from the mental progression standpoint in the pocket, that throw in the flat to Goddard yes. with Goddard's leverage release took a while to get there. But look, it, it was a win in a game that they needed in his first start against a great defense. And I think you have to start there. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. Right. Yeah, It's funny. You, you, you were very um, generous. There were, there were some kid gloves on that statement because that throw to Goddard, I put it on the on the Twitter timeline. He scans full left to right. And he just misses, I think, just about literally everybody, except for maybe Jeffrey, was open on that play. He gets off Goddard too quickly, who wins his release with some nice quote-unquote leverage, a.k.a. he shoves his guy to the ground. I think it was Quan Alexander, actually. 
Then he gets to the middle of the field where he's got that that shallow and he's got the the over top and he's got a guy there doesn't see it. He's got Quez Watkins who had a nice little uh, route uh, had the middle of the field open to him on a post uh, and he missed that. So those are the things that we talk about when 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 me and Ben talk about saying that they're taking away some of the middle field reads because he's a little bit slower to to read them. This is what we expected with him coming out into the NFL. That's kind of the area where he needs to improve his processing, his decision making, his willingness to just get rid of the ball in those situations. Um, did you see? Did you see any more of that? I'm not trying to pick on the guy, but like I really do want to get a feel for like gentle listener. This is what you're looking for. If he does this, then this is a very good sign in terms of his processing. If he hits a throw here, like remember when I told you, you know what does it look like when Carson Wentz comes out the gate hot? And you said if he hits that bang eight post. If he delivers that right at the eyes, then you know he's he's going to be cooking. That game, he actually came out and missed a bang eight post like right away. So like yeah. we knew what the deal was. We knew it was coming. <laughs> so with Hurts, what are you kind of looking for with that? What does him like looking in rhythm like look like for you? Honestly, I think it's kind of that speed out that like what we call the the three route in college. Mm. You know that you know quick out. That's what Goddard was running. The play that he almost got pick sixth. Yes, in the second half. That was a third and five. That was also one of those speed outs. And you've got to be decisive when you're throwing that. Like you can't use a hitch step. Like you've got to take your three-step gun drop, hit and throw. Like you can't wait, especially somebody with Hertz who, you know, his mechanics have gotten better, mm-hmm. I think, but they're still a little bit deliberate. Well, I rewatched that play like five times this morning. I do think it got tipped or deflected because somebody was coming off the edge and got their hands up. Yeah. So you saw the ball dive a bit. But you've got to get that out on time and rhythm. Um, so that's kind of what I want to see because that will give you the inkling to is the game speeding up for him? And what's interesting about the Goddard play, to go back to that for a second, you know, Nate Tyson, we know, uh, played behind Russell Wilson of Wisconsin, knows the game inside and out. We'll teach you duo versus inside zone on Twitter if you want. You know, he talked about on quick game, you've got to pick a side and throw. You know, and that's what I was taught too. Like mm-hmm. quick game, best side, throw it, get it out of your hands. It it looks cool when he's like scanning the full field on a three step gun drop. But that's not what the ball's got to come out. Yes, the ball's got to come out. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it looks great, and we can think, oh man, he's working through reads. The reads should be done. The ball should be out by that right. point. And that's what I think we got to look for. Like if he's going to start improving and developing and taking steps forward as a quarterback. It's on those moments when the ball should be out and it's not out yet. That's what you should be looking for. And what's crazy is Carson was guilty of that too when I posted that yeah. series of the three plays of uh, the the, zi- the design they call 383 Arizona. It's pick a side. And yeah. Carson Wentz refused to pick a side. Like this is, this is stuff that he should be getting. And then, you know, Jalen Hurst came out and actually executed uh, that pretty well. And then struggled with it a, a bit in the Saints game. But overall, again, encouraging signs from him. What do, you, what do you expect from this Arizona defense as far as how they can challenge him? Because they they are kind of tricky. They can kind of fool you. I know they have some of the nebulous fronts and they do different things. Yeah. What, what, what can we expect to see from the Arizona defense here? Yeah, I'm very concerned about what they do in sub-packages with their sub-packages. They've got two different looks. Early in the year, it was 0-6-5. What we mean by that, zero down linemen, six linebackers, five defensive backs. One of those six linebackers in that ca- calculation is Isaiah Simmons. So you could theoretically call it a 0-5-6 if you right. want to say he's a safety. But And what they do with that is you've got everybody in a two-point stance, six people in the box. You don't know who's coming and going. 
I've got a bunch of stuff that I've done on that. If you want to dig it up on Twitter or Touchdown Wire, they confused the heck out of Russell Wilson. That overtime game when they beat Seattle, they used that three times in yeah. overtime. Yep. You know, once to get him flushed, mm-hmm. where he had to throw it away. And the other time, he changed the protection to Buda Baker, who they love to blitz off the edges. They, you know, he brought the back, the back was aligned in the way, and he brought the back into the backfield to give him a better angle, slid the protection that way. Then the other guy gets him for a sack. And then the interception, it was that package again. He wanted to get it out quickly. He throws hot before the guy even looks for it. And Simmons gets in the passing lane. So there's 0-6-5. That's something to worry about. Because if it's fooling Russell Wilson, it can probably fool a rookie quarterback. So that's one thing that can be concerned with. The other is last week against the Giants, they were using a 1-5-5 instead. Hmm. And what they were doing a ton was the stunt and twist game up front. And they got home. Now, look, Daniel Jones couldn't move in the pocket. So that's a difference between right. the Giants and the Eagles going into this game. He was a statue back there. He's hurt, can't move. But they were using lots of stunts and twists, and that offensive line could not pick it up. Or even if they did, when you're twisting Hassan Reddick from an outside and wide nine alignment <laughs> into the A gap, Kevin Zeitler at one point sees it coming, peels off. But Reddick's just faster than he is. Yeah. Like he's going to beat you to the inside. And so they're going to get pressure on Hurts. They're going to confuse Hurts. That's the stuff that scares me. If you can get that stuff blocked up, you'll be able to make throws. Teams that have done well attacking that 0-6-5, Josh Allen did a great job of it. Just getting the ball out. If you're going to go 0-6-5, just throw that quick speed out to Cole Beasley. He did it like six times in that game. Yeah. You got to be quick and decisive. That's the big thing. And as we just discussed, that's an issue right now. Yeah. Josh Allen, quick and decisive. Our boys all grown up. <laughs> it's 2020, man. I, 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 I go back to that draft. Do you think we'd ever say Josh Allen was quick and decisive? No, never. No, and, absolutely and not. But here I, we are. And I don't care. And this this kind of shows you I don't care about my pre-draft narrative or whatever. Like, like Josh Allen is lighting it up, dude, and and it's a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I is. mean, good good points on the uh, on the Cardinals defense there. And another note on that, I'm not sure that we've really touched on this on BGN yet, so maybe they have on on BGN Radio. I just edited that, and uh, I'm going to give it a listen through, but just to highlight this, Hassan Reddick, who you mentioned, five sacks, three forced fumbles. He was working both against the left tackle and the right tackle for the Eagles. Jack Driscoll is out, you know, the sprained MCL. Now you have Matt Pryor at right tackle, and I talked about this on the Palpably Unfair podcast on the SB Nation NFL show too, but... Matt Pryor, and Benjamin Solek has has mentioned this, doesn't know how to move backwards. Like, he is a guard through and through. He wants to go forward. And with a speed rusher like Hassan Reddick, and then also with you mentioned, you know, the stunts, you yep. know, the, 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 the continuity in the line is important for picking these things up. Like, this can be a real problem for them either with passing off the stunt, recognizing the stunt, having proper depth on the stunt, because the difference in depth between – Matt Pryor in his in his pass pro to Lane Johnson might be one of the biggest I've ever seen. Lane Johnson gets deeper than anybody else in the league in yeah. his in his pass pro. So there's going to be some issues there. Hassan Reddick might be able to eat. You might have to keep in Dallas Goddard or you know a chip with him, which I, I I hate that because cool yeah protect your quarterback, but at the same time you're taking probably your best passing weapon and delaying him out into his route. So there is a sacrifice there in terms of your offensive quality just just on that note is there anything come to mind like other than like the basic stuff like chips and stuff like that is there anything that comes to mind as far as how the eagles can help slow down who we are now we are now talking about reddick as if he is this 
elite of the elite pass rusher, but he really is dangerous, and I'm glad because it confirms my pre-draft narrative about him. <laughs> there you go. So you, you brushed off the Josh Allen pre-draft narrative and <laughs> yes. just spun it to the Hassan Reddick one. And by the way, <laughs> Reddick's hands in that game against oh, the Giants, great. oh my God. Like that chop move he had on Andrew Thomas for yes. one of his sacks. It was just like ridiculous. Like, look, I barely know edge play, but I was like, that's pretty good, man. <laughs> um, I think th- – how do we start this? You know, we, we started this talking about how they designed moves for Hurts to get him out of the pocket, to sprint him out. And we've talked about this before, changing the aiming point for the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got all these stunts and these twists and all these designs are aiming at seven yards behind the center – when the quarterback's not there and that's what you're aiming for, you're going to be missing out. Yep. You're going to miss on sack opportunities. So I think that's one thing that they also have to do. Um, get the screen game involved. Yes. Get some of those fast three flat routes involved and things like that to sort of get them moving laterally rather than just giving them the ability to sort of pin their ears back and attack the quarterback in the pocket. So I think those are things that you can do. Um, but yeah, Reddit could be in for a monster game. Hopefully not, but he could be. Oh boy. Looking forward to it. All right. Look forward to a break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals as we preview the upcoming enemy opponent for the Eagles this Sunday. That's coming up next here on the QB Factory. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the QB Factory, episode 20, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, let's dig into this Arizona passing attack. Obviously, we're going to talk some Kyler Murray. And Mark, I went through every passing metric analytic that I could find, whether it be from Pro Football Reference, PFF, Next Gen, et cetera, et cetera. Even with their Football Outsiders DVOA, their passing attack led by Kyler Murray is perfectly average uh steven ruiz had a, had a great piece on this not too long ago on for the win he noted that there were three reasons for the recent struggles in the cardinals passing attack they were bogging down a little bit he highlighted that there were too many wide receiver screens so their their ineffectiveness on third down uh, with their passing attack it was suffering from a lack of creativity and speaking of creativity they did not have enough variety with deandre hopkins in how they deploy him so just talking about the the base Cardinals offense now and how they've evolved over the season and in recent weeks. I know you put a video up on the Twitter timeline that I'm going to share today. I'm going to retweet it so the gentle listener can kind of follow along with that. You like some things that they did, they some adjustments that they made. Uh, but what are you seeing from this Cardinals offense? What can we expect to see from them? I think generally, philosophically, you're going to see a lot of 
air raid concepts. I mean, you mm. go through their passing game plan, you know, their playbook. It's a lot of air raid. You're going to see mesh. You're going to see mesh sit, mesh sit post. You know, one of the plays that I break down, it's a mesh sit post against zone. And they've got, you know, adjustments for that. The crossers actually stop and sit because they know it's zone coverage. They're not just going to keep running into zones. But you've got the sit route to the tight end, which Murray throws. you got the post route. So that's all well and good. I'm so glad you brought up Steven's piece, uh, which is, again, a really good piece over for the win because he mentioned the DeAndre Hopkins piece of this. Mm. And I went back and sort of charted that stuff out. By alignment this year, Hopkins aligned 646 times. This is from weeks 1 to 13, so before last week, okay? okay. 646 times wide to the left. That's 80%, okay? Mm. 39 times in a slot to the left, just 5%. Uh, 13 times in a tight slot, what we call that, like 2%. Couple of times in the backfield, then on the right side, just six snaps in that tight slot, in that tight alignment, ten snaps in the right slot, and then ninety-one snaps out wide. So the bulk of the time, yeah, he's like wide to the left. That's, That's how they used it. Crazy. So like not only just with outside alignments, because I get like maybe using him as an outside wide receiver, quote unquote, eighty percent of the time. But the fact that they're not even getting him in those condensed splits as a whether it be a number split or a right. nasty split, that's wild to me. That uh, that is very a static alignment. You can, as a defensive coordinator, you then know where Hopkins is going to be eight times out of ten. That's wild. Right. But then last week the numbers changed just a little bit. 46 snaps out wide left, 72% of the time. So it's still, that's primarily where you're going to see him. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I did notice was he got six snaps in the right slot. Mm. Now remember, 10 from weeks 1 to 13, six last week. So there's at least a little bit of a change. And in the video that I do break down, two of those plays start with Hopkins sort of in that right slot alignment where one was a scramble throw, the other was sort of a design throw to him. But they're starting to at least be cognizant of the fact that, look, we can't just align our best guy in the same spot all the time. Because as Stephen points out, look, this is a matchup-based league, right? right? You want to get your guys in favorable matchups, even if they're as elite a player as DeAndre Hopkins. But if you just put them in the same spot, the defense can say, okay, well, we'll take Jalen Ramsey and put him there. And then we, or, or we'll roll people or we'll whatever roll the case people may be. there. Like, we know what we got to do. You always have to make people think. Mm-hmm. I watched, and I, I talked about it with you in the DMs, Carl Scott, Alabama secondary coach, had a great clinic on Alabama's coverage. It's like an hour long. And he had this great little segment in there talking about all the coverage rules at Alabama and what they want to do. What they want to stress is eliminate the thought, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the defensive players' minds. Because sometimes coverage rules, it's like, oh, well, if the guy breaks before seven yards, you do this. If he breaks before five yards, you do that. Like, and then he's like, we want to avoid a situation where we get to the sideline and kids tells us, coach, I thought. We don't want to hear that. Just eliminate the thought. Yeah. If you've eliminated the thought already as an offense and you're not making them think, you're not doing your job. Right. And so I think this little adjustment, it's just, again, 10 slot snaps on the right before, six this past week, six in one game as opposed to 10 in the first 13 weeks. That's an adjustment. And so I think I'll be watching for that to see if they continue to move Hopkins around. So watch for Hopkins in the slot. And uh, we'll we'll see on the status of Darius Slay and all that because that's the guy that they've been shadowing wide receiver one with uh, all the time. And uh, look, let's get into Kyler Murray. Let's let's figure this guy out because I, I really feel like Kyler Murray probably is going to be a top 10 quarterback at some point in his career. I think at certain stretches, he certainly plays like it. 
And I think for other stretches, you know, there are some struggles. I, I've noticed before some intermediate accuracy issues and and whatnot. But overall, when, when you look at Kyler Murray, where do you kind of place him? Is he average? Is he above average? What does he do well? Where are his weaknesses? What do you what do you see in the guy? I mean, I think right now he's an average to above average quarterback with elite quarterback potential. Yeah, um, you could see some throws like he had a throw backpedaling against the Patriots on a third and six where he like backpedaled and backpedaled and had guys in his face and let uncorks his back foot like rocket over the middle on to Dan Arnold on like a post. And I was just like, it was one of those like we have with Mahomes, right? This freaking guy. Yeah. Like it was the same thing. I was like literally with my notepad charting the plays live and I threw it <laughs> over my left shoulder because I'm like, you can't stop that. Did you did um, you see the one with Josh Allen where he did like the, the 1980s backup, like 17 step drop because he knew he had a free man coming, right? And he does that dead crazy. action. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah. whenever a quarterback, it. yeah, whenever a quarterback busts out the Dan Fouts back pedal or the Danny White back pedal, <laughs> I get kind of giddy. I do. I love it. I remember once in like Pop Warner, my B team year. So it's my second to last Pop Warner year. I tried that, and my coaches went insane. <laughs> I was like, "Buddy, I'm back pedal." They're like, "Don't you ever do that again, oh, buddy? You ain't um, got the arm for that. You need to be I ain't closer. got anything for that. So let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, no, I think he look. Murray has elite quarterback potential. Um, obviously, when you think of the things he does well, the athleticism, throwing on the move, um, what he can do as a runner, you know, the different ways that they could structure an offense conceptually in, in some ways, in some respects, the ways that Doug Peterson did it for Jalen Hurts last week where you can involve the quarterback as a run and threat. You can play 11 on 11 as opposed to 10 on 11, um, which makes you a much more efficient offense and opens up the playbook even more. I think the area where he struggles is where a lot of young quarterbacks struggle. You know, reading the field, making quicker decisions, you know, putting the ball where it needs to be on some of those intermediate throws. That's an issue for him right now. It was an issue for him yeah. sort of coming out of Oklahoma because the ball placement isn't always where you need it to be. Down the field, it doesn't matter. You just want to get it there. But on those throws where you're trying to maximize yardage after the catch, if you negate that by putting it on the wrong shoulder or the wrong hip or whatever, then yeah, you're not doing your job. So those are some of the areas where he struggles. But He's still a very good quarterback, um, somebody that, you know, on the right day can carve you up. But you've got to do some things to confuse him. You've got to do some things to sort of keep him in the pocket as much as you can, whether it's mush rush. I don't think you waste somebody spying on him because, let's face it, like he's going to be more athletic than most of the guys you have on defense. Mm. But it might be a situation where you want to play more zone, just like the Eagles did last week with Taysom Hill. Like they were zone heavy last week because you want to keep eyes on him. You know, you don't want to turn your back to him. So you might see, again, a zone-heavy game plan going into this game. When you look at – I, I kind of like this this theme that we've kind of developed of like, what does it look like if this guy is balling, right? Like, what's the throw? What's the concept? What's something that Arizona likes to do with Murray that's maybe a bit of a heat check for him, maybe a bit of a signal that that he's kind of feeling himself? What, what does that look like for Arizona? They love – I forget which what number they call it because they use a number system for a lot of their base stuff. But when you've got shallow cross and that sit route from the tight end over the top of it, you know, sometimes they'll do the shallow with Fitzgerald. Sometimes they'll do it uh, with Hopkins and Dan Arnold on the sit route. When he reads that and gets that out quickly, mm. like that's when you feel like he's going to have a good day. If he's not trusted his eyes, if he's not trusting the underneath defenders, if you're dropping rats or stuff like that to take away that shallow and he's – pulling it down and starting mm. to buy time with his feet. That's what you can tell he's sort of uncomfortable there, not trusting what he's seen. The Patriots, you know, if, if you're looking to figure out how to stop him, watch what New England did because they did a lot with dropping rats or bringing robbers down to take away those crossers and get them uncomfortable. And then they also did a very good job at containing him 
you know, Chase Winovich off one edge, uh, Josh Uche off the other. You know, they would have shots at him, but they wouldn't bite. You know, they wouldn't dive down and think, look, I'm going right for his legs. I'm going to get a sack here. They would stay outside contained, keep him in the pocket. There were a couple of times there was one play with Josh Uche where Kyler tried to spin out like that little like quarterback spins back to his left, right? Mm. Um, Uche wasn't buying it. Just stayed home, kept his relationship, kept his rush lane integrity. But yeah, it's that sort of shallow cross sit route. If he's working that concept well, I think he's going to be in for a pretty good day. Love it. Boom. I think we uh, we did the thing. Yeah, we did the thing we again. The thing. Can you believe it? Can you believe? <laughs> How long have we been? Now doing we get this? to go back to the timeline and see the timeline imploded on itself for the second straight day. I was having so much fun from the moment that I logged in. Can I just say, gentle listeners, I got up early this morning. I couldn't sleep. Whatever. So I came down and did some extra work for this show to get ready. And I sent Mike a whole bunch of stuff, like playbooks, <laughs> video links, all this stuff. And Mike DM'd me a little bit later. He's like, look, man, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying to get to these resources you sent for the pod, but the timeline is just too fun right now. And it was, I think, that Boston article that we opened the show with right. that caught Mike's attention. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, the Twitter opened up hot. And I was like, man, if it's going to be this type of day. Let's yeah. let's ride. Let's get let's get a little bit of yeah, dope. A week before Christmas and we got this going. Yeah. Man. And it's I always feel like the days when it's weather, when there's mm. weather in the northeast and people are like I mean, we're all stuck home right now. But generally speaking, when there's weather in the northeast and people are just like stuck at home, can't go anywhere, Twitter kicks it up a notch. <laughs> And I think we're in for one of those days. It's that seasonal depression type of type of deal. Yeah, yeah I mean, like Brad Kelly told you. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I used it's to live in the Northeast. I, season, baby. I, t- I totally get it because it could be gloomy and whatnot, and it can it can affect your mood. So yeah, look, it can make you think that Tom Brady regrets his time in Foxborough. Right. Yeah, and I understand. Like, not every, every I said, you know, Boston's really going through it, or Boston's whatever. I know it's. I understand it's not the entire city, but some people are buying it, and this guy gets paid to say it. So there's something going wrong somewhere <laughs> in Boston. That's the best way I could put it. So anyway, that's been the QB Factory episode 20, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, this is Michael Kist signing off for you. Go dominate. Have yourselves a day. Yeah.